Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership. I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do. You either acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And it's proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. This episode of the pod is going to be something quite special. We have got Anuj Nayar. This is the guy that was at Apple when all the big decisions about the App Store were being made. He was at PayPal just after Musk departed. He was brought up and educated in the UK. He emigrated to the US 25 years ago, subsequently carved out a career in tech on both the East and the West Coast. He's currently managing director at the Berkeley Research Group, where he specializes in the ever-hot topic of digital transformation. His American professional journey encompasses pivotal moments of tech category creation in media, payments, consumer technology, and now the ongoing paradigm shift driven by AI. Before he joined the Berkeley Research Group, he was senior VP, financial health officer, and head of communications at Lending Club. Previously, he was global head of product comms at PayPal and head of Mac PR at Apple. Difficult to undersell this man. He's also a recognized thought leader in the Forbes Finance Council and a member of a board of advisors to a couple of very exciting startups. I think you're going to learn a lot from this one. Enjoy. Anuj Nayar. Morning, Anuj. Well, morning where you are, but uh, certainly starting to go dark here in the UK. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks, Jonathan. It's great to see you. We've, uh, I'm in the midst of a very rare atmospheric river here in, in, in the Bay Area right now. It is, it's like London weather. It is pouring with rain. Please don't flood while we're doing the podcast, because I, I want to start asking you a series of questions. We're going to talk about digital transformation. I've used that term. I know Paul hates it, and it's something you're very much involved in at the moment. One might think this could be a, a golden opportunity for category creation, because digital transformation is reshaping industries, relationships, and certainly value chains. That means disruption for sure. So are there any particular opportunities you see emerging as digital transformation really takes hold? I think Paul's actually right. I think the word digital, it's become a, a nothing word. It's like when you said internet before commerce back in the day, right? I mean, this is wholesale business transformation at its core, right? Entire industries are being recategorized around what the customer does versus how the value chain is actually being organized, right? I mean, what you've seen, I mean, throughout history is every time there's a major new technology paradigm shift, right? It changes the whole business and societal implications. I mean, you go back to the 1600s and the, the printing press, right? There weren't really nations before the printing press. The Industrial Revolution, everyone's moved to cities, created ideologies, massive changes that ran for 150 years. And we're right at the beginning of that once again. It is not a small change. This is a wholesale categorization of pretty much everything that we see happening today. Uh, I know quite recently you've worked in payments. How is this affecting payments? What's happening from your perspective? It wasn't that long ago that when you bought food for the night, right, you would stop by Tesco Metro on the way back from work, so get out of the tube, pick up a few things, and then throw them in the oven when you get home. Right now, a third of the consumers in the US are basically shopping online from work, and that stuff is ready to pick up or being delivered at their home. The payment part of that is automated. Right? All of that stuff happens in the background and you don't have to think about it anymore. You're not pulling out your credit card. Everything's stored, frankly, on your mobile phone normally, but it's stored on the web and it just moves forward. And it changes the paradigm of how you look at that stuff because the power metric goes much larger to the tech behemoths 
than it does to the mom and pop corner store, right? Because they don't have that technology. And so you're starting to see that happen across the board. I mean, look at Amazon and Whole Foods. That was an incredible acquisition. Grocery shopping is one of those things that you think is like the most analog of things. You're going, you're feeling the fruit, you're buying stuff. And now that feeling is fully integrated. It's happening you know, across the board. I shop online from Amazon all the time versus going to the store. It's just easier. But I mean, there's a lot of confusion in terms of categories with some of these digital transformations, or as you say, business transformations. A term that I really liked, UK analyst called Richard Holway, termed MOMAT, M-O-W-M-A-T. And this was uh, his description of Meals on Wheels masquerading as tech. So what we've just seen in 21 and beyond is a lot of companies getting crazy valuations because they were essentially food delivery companies looking for software like you know, 90% margin valuations. It's just completely hokey. And we've seen a lot of this, and I think it's confused people as to what the relevant categories going forward are. It's a great point, Paul. I and mean, I agree with you. I love that term, moment. I hadn't heard it before, but I'm, I'm going to steal that with pride and bring it to the West Coast. The last few years of just crazy VC money, thing, anything with a tech bent is getting a massive valuation. You're seeing it now with anything with the words AI on it are getting ridiculous valuations. But I look at the two, two shoe brands that are very popular here in San Francisco. One is Allbirds. Allbirds are basically merino wool shoes. And the other one is Hoka. Hoka are these kind of big, sturdy, very, very comfortable walking and, and running shoes. Now, they took completely different approaches. Allbirds went in and were like, yeah, we're a tech company. And it's basically not. They make shoes, right? There's no way that but they, they were getting VCs throwing money at them as a tech company. Hoka took a the tortoise approach. And they said, we make incredible shoes. They do almost no marketing. They did this, they produced a great product. And then they just continue to deliver this product. And they spread by word of mouth, which is massively increased by social, right? And they encourage these people to say, look, if you like these, tell your friends. And it has just been one of those underground stories that's moved forward. And, you know, Orbis is suffering now from the, the hangover from trying to be positioned itself as a tech company. And you see that all over the place here. The guys that, that do well, and Hoke is a great example, they focus on a product that's very different. It's not just adding a little better tab of tech. And that's why I hate digital transformation. What are your taglines? It has to be different, not just better, right? I mean, there's no question about that. And what I'm seeing now, which is really interesting, is two of the, the last major industries to be disintermediated by technology are finance, which is where, kind of where I spend a lot of my time, and health and medical stuff. And there's a good reason for that. And that's because they are highly, highly regulated businesses, as they should be. If someone's looking after my money and my health data, I want to make sure it's not as openly available in the dark web as you know, my Facebook handle, right? And I want to make sure that's happening and all those controls are in place. But unfortunately, that means that you're working in a very different environment, right? So you're working in a, in a regulated environment. So you're talking to governments who are not necessarily moving at the speed of technology. And what you've seen specific in the finance space, right, is uh, going back to Jonathan's original question, is all the innovation has happened at the front end, right? So I always think that like every industry basically has factories and storefronts. It doesn't matter what the industry is. There's the people that produce the product and the people that sell the product, right? In, in financial terms, that's like the banks are producing the products. So checking accounts, such a stupid name. I can't believe we're still using checking accounts when no one's written a check for 10 years. You know, checking accounts, savings, savings accounts, you know, investment accounts, uh, mortgages, all that stuff is set on one side as a factory. And all the innovation you see is coming from people basically moving from a, digital, a physical bank to a bank on your phone, right? But that's not actual true innovation. What's true innovation is when you can actually do the back end as well. 
And that's when you start getting into all kinds of complicated things in banking, right? Because then you're talking to the regulators about what does that mean for my industry? And the regulators are still not as cognizant of the changes as they will be. And they're always going to be behind the curve. I just was watching recently, there was a whole thing about Congress was had pulled up all the social media heads about basically child, child endangerment by these online platforms. Could not agree more that this is a big issue. But the thing that's really driving me nuts is that's yesterday's issue. The issue today is AI-driven fake content. Taylor Swift et al. Exactly. And so what is the case of like, you know, you, you're some little tween who's got some nerdy, nerdy enemies who are making fake videos about you, right? Now, that's, that's the issue that they should be talking about today. And they're so far away from even doing that. It's really heartening to hear, though, that you think there's still plenty of categories out there to, to develop, because we agree with that, obviously, not surprisingly. Well, I mean, I, I think it's more than that. I think everything's going to be recategorized over the next five years. We're at the beginning of a massive change. And I think that's kind of the piece is like, if you're looking to create categories, you've got to go back to first principles. What is the customer actually doing? Not how is your business organized today? Right. I mean, I think back to like when we were at Apple, right? You remember there was the whole Nokia, Samsung and everybody else had all their things ready to go. And Apple came in and said, we're not a fun company. We're a technology company and we're going to do it this way and completely rechange the entire market in a matter of two years. Okay. We think there's lots of opportunities for categories, but where? You and I disagree a little bit on this one. Let me ask a question. Has Silicon Valley still got what it takes to produce the next generation of category leaders? What say you, Anuj? <laughs> so I read the papers like everybody else, right? And every time I open up the Daily Mail, or, or my wife opens up the Daily Mail, there's all this doom loop San Francisco stories about, you know, homeless people doing drugs on the streets outside and this happening and that happening. I'm not saying it's not happening, but it's happening in a small I would say a three block location downtown. Everywhere else in the city, at least in San Francisco, the Bay Area at all, it's thriving. I mean, you go to a coffee shop in Hayes Valley, you go to a coffee shop, a coffee shop in the Mission, or you go down to Palo Alto, right? They're all talking about AI is obviously the thing that's happening. And I think one of the things you're, you're seeing, which is very difficult to replicate, is this mix of vision, talent, and money together in the same physical space, right? I mean, we all were cooped up during COVID for three years. You look around, everybody's back. And they want to have that ability to have the serendipitous meetings and move that stuff forward. You guys have got the Sand Hill Road, the great talent and Stanford and Berkeley and all that sort of stuff. I still contend though that talent can be a lot more places. That's one thing that we got from COVID. I'm hoping, and don't take this the wrong way, Anish, but I'm hoping that somewhere else can take a little bit of the glory. Yeah, I think the question remains, who can do it? Back to Anuja's point, you know, vision, talent, money. On that note, Jonathan, one other thing I think is very important is you need a you need a hub of universities. I think that's that's where a lot of the stuff really comes from. So, you, so there's only a few places in the world where you have like that concentration of highly technically educated young people that are all kind of put together at that time. And you think about one of the San Francisco reasons is Stanford and Berkeley and all these places put right there in one spot that has spun up so many of the, the innovations that we see. And also, I think people also forget the amount of state funding that's gone into California through some of the, the, the big labs and defense as well. And I think that's, that's often forgotten when we talk about America, that um, the public sector is actually quite important, alone though America never wants to admit that that's the case. So Anuj, I, I think from you then, Optimism is breaking out again in the valley? 
all the innovations that started in San Francisco, you know, from the summer of love to the waterbed to Uber and PayPal and Tesla and, you know, name the list of, of innovations that we've all become part of our open AI. It's all this stuff started right here. Look, that innovation message is still there. You go down to, you know, Sand Hill Road, you go down to the, there's a famous diner in Woodside called Box where so many initial meetings for some of the, the household technology that started in this diner in Woodside. It feels like it's back to that level. As we're talking about restaurants, as, as we Brits say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. But at least it looks like it could be exciting watching the ingredients for the next tech boom being put together. So the message is, don't write off San Francisco and the Valley yet. There's a lot of firepower left there. You know what? This really grinds my gears. Grinds my gears. This is the time in the episode when we, or our guests, get the opportunity to vent about any particular tech issues. So, Anuj Nayar, what has been grinding your gears recently? And is it anything that's going to be vexing us soon in the UK? Oh, man. I can guarantee it's coming to the UK soon if it's not already there. And it's spam texts. Oh my God, spam texts. I don't know why, I don't know when this happened. You know, you think you give out your number and it should be used just, and there's a whole bunch of regulations that you shouldn't be able to do this, but it doesn't matter. If you've given your number to anybody and they've got a relationship with you, they are now spamming my phone. Uh, I must get 30 or 40 spam texts a day. Are these are the spams where increasingly the culture seems to have changed, where they're, they're talking to you like you're their best mate, like they know you. I am best friends with Kamala Harris and Chuck Schumer. I guarantee because I, 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 I donated once to the Democrat Party. So now it's like, hey, Nooch, help us out. Give us just five bucks to defeat, uh, to, 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 to defeat Trump. And I'm like, I must get five of those a day from each one of those people. And I'm like, it is ridiculous. It reminds me of, do you remember when email first came around? It was a great communications tool. And then the spammers found it and advertisers found For it. For like a nanosecond, it was good. It's almost useless to get to, to power through this. And all of us did the same thing, right? We all created some kind of spam email address that you gave out that you sometimes needed to check because sometimes something useful would come into it. But apart from that, you would just just be just leave it alone and not look at it and not put it on any of your of your apps or anything else. Yeah, look, you you figured it out. You've got a solution here for us. I've got another number, and I keep that for any time I have to give it to a marketer or anything else. But it's uh, and I check it maybe once a week to see if there's anything good on there, and it's filled with crap. It's kind of you have to do that to get out of this. There's no email and email marketing and spam marketing. There's all kinds of ways to fix that. But I haven't seen a an elegant solution to to deal with this spam text problem. So there's wide up an opportunity for somebody to come up with a new category that deals with this particular issue. 100%. Because otherwise we're going to need a hell of a lot of uh, burner phones. And you, must, you must have this problem too where you look at something and you say, I know Paul sent me a piece of information I'm trying to find. I know I read it on my phone, <laughs> yeah. but I have no yeah, yeah, idea yeah. what no piece, clue. where it came from. Was it a text? Was it WhatsApp? Was it an email? Was it? And I spend so much time trying to just find that information. That's the other thing I would love to find a solution for is that poor multi-platform search that could be like, find me the thing he sent me somehow from 
somewhere. I, I heard a whisper that that was on its way, right? Um, you know, something to, to hoover up the slacks and the signals and the WhatsApp. And I heard it might be our friends at Meta doing it. So watch this space. Cross-platform search. You, you heard this. This is the new category. Watch out for it coming soon. Possibly from Meta, according to mm -hmm. Mr. Ma. And wouldn't you love to give, give Meta all your information across all those platforms? Because they've never used that for advertising-based uh, targeting, ever. How do you make money, Mr. Zuckerberg? <laughs> Ads. Ads, Senator. Well, if so, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. What does the future hold? Let's look into our crystal ball. I've got a couple of AI predictions and a couple of kind of more broader kind of like, you know, Silicon Valley ones. The first AI one is I think 2024 is the year when we're going to see a groundbreaking contract being signed between some of the media players and the large technology companies, the Googles, the Microsofts, to basically license the content that they've been using to scrape to inform their LLMs. And these are going to be some of the biggest deals that we're going to see. It's going to blow away any IPO we see this year. It's going to be some multi-billion dollar deals that will be like it's needs to be paid for there is no way that you know you can train something on 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 own content without that happening and if you break it down there's probably only i would say eight media conglomerates that would give you 90 percent of the info 90 95 percent of the information that is out there and these this is truly astounding because it is the first major break in essentially publishing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years Stuff has been published for human beings to read. Now, the major readers of published content are going to be large language models sucked up by machines. That, that, is, that is truly momentous. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I've started to use ChatGPT as my primary search thing when I want to have a question answered. Well when, well, when I use Google, it would source it, right? It would say, I'm reading a story from Breitbart versus I'm reading a story from the New York Times. Now with ChatGPT, it just gives me the answer and it doesn't give me the background on that stuff. And I think that's a very dangerous move as we're not seeing where that information is coming but from. But isn't that what, that's what the deal's about, right? The, the deal is to get people um, cited, to get citations and get people paid for their original research. Well, it's to get them paid. It's to get them paid. The citations is a different issue, right? So I think that's a whole another separate issue, which is this idea of where are you getting this information from? and how accurate and believable is it when you're scraping the entire of the internet? Yeah, I think it, it, it um, also raises some very interesting questions about valuation of intellectual property, but as usual, the lawyers win on this one. So while I'm drawing breath at the enormity of this change, which Anuj has predicted for this year, what else have you got, Anuj? So this one I don't think is a huge jump, but I think it's worth, worth talking about because I think, at least in the, in the US, from now till November, we are going to be consumed by the presidential election, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's going to be the biggest thing happening in, 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 in the U.S. media world, in the world, in the U.S. at all. So one of the things I'm going to see is this year we are going to be dominated by fake AI-generated videos of Biden saying crazy things or Trump saying crazy things or whoever's saying crazy things. And that is going to be driving the political rhetoric even further because it will be validating what the extremists want to hear, right? And everybody in the middle will be left with, like, but what is true? And so what that means is an opportunity. I think there is a huge kind of cat and mouse game for building technologies that will spot fakes so that we can start to build that out. And from both a 
bit from the platforms, but also from the consumer, right? I mean, I want to be able to be like, I'm going to pay, and I'd be willing to pay that. And like, can you scrape my feed and take out anything that is clearly an AI-generated fake? And I think that's a huge opportunity that I haven't seen really hit yet. But I think that's going to be, this is the year when it all comes together. You saw, you know, all the furore about Taylor Swift and the, you know, the AI-generated porn. Now, you're going to see more of this, I think, this year with the whole political element, which is going to be huge. So verification is going to become very, very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so. At least it's going to, this is the year when it's going to become front and center. And as always, when when a problem becomes that big, there will be solutions. I don't know if the solutions will be in place for this uh, presidential election, but they'll definitely be coming within the next two years. I've got one for you. Uh, and we disagree on this one, Anuj, and um, it's about your alma mater. Let's talk about spatial computing and vision goggles. And is this going to be Apple's metaverse moment? I know you're, you're, you're all in on Vision Pro. And everyone's making the analogy to the iPhone, right? They were talking about the iPhone and they're saying, look, this is the, frankly, it's the last, it's the last big innovation that happens uh, since the iPhone. But I think long term, there's no doubt that spatial computing will come, come to the fore, but it's more analogous to what Apple did with the Mac, which is a 40 year old uh, Apple product, right? Than it is the iPhone. Cause I mean, I was at Apple when it launched, when the iPhone launched and he famously described it as being just three things, right? An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. Right? Those were three existing categories, and he put them in one device, right? It had a 15 applications, and Steve was adamant it was a closed system. He's like, we're not going to put anybody's crappy apps on here, right? It was a year later, right, after 6 million phones had been sold, that it opened up to developers. And I know your point is, hey, look, this is becoming, the developers are going to drive the ecosystem. The developers didn't drive the ecosystem of the iPhone in the first place. They only drove it when there were 6 million phones in market. Then it opened up to developers and they said, oh my God, we've got a way to put this out. And then the actual innovations that really happened. I mean, there was a fart machine that was one of the first third party apps that came out, right? It was stupid stuff at the beginning because they didn't really understand how to use the technology, right? It was only another year. So it was two years after the phone came out that you started to see innovations that really took advantage of the iPhone capabilities. Like things like Uber launched in 2010, I think, right? Um, so it was not 2009. So it was two years before but someone said, hey, look, this has got an accelerometer. We can do all this other cool stuff with it to actually fix real world problems. And that started the movement. But you needed to get the engine moving to the extent before people started to do that. To crystallize your crystal ball on this one, you think it's going to be like maybe a decade down the line before this thing really hits its stride and, and, and has its iPhone? moment i think the apple vision pro will be seen as the apple ipod hi-fi you guys don't remember this but apple made a big push i think in 2006 they're going to revolutionize music music sound because they had itunes and they produced this heavy huge speaker i've still got one actually but uh you know it's really good sound quality but like it just died and no one talks about the apple misses they only talk about the apple successes because of the myth of apple right and i think the the vision pros going to be seen in the same view as Google Glass and MetaQuest and all these other ones as a, as a technology that was before its time. I think the term spatial computing will live, but I do think it's at least five years before you start to see this really coming, becoming a category. 
Thank you for listening to The Difference Engine. If you want to learn more about Anujan IR and the Berkeley Research Group, go to www.thinkbrg.com. That's think and the letters brg.com. And if you want to explore the category design topics in this episode, then please read our blog posts and maybe even comment there at bcategorical.com. And of course, if you're in tech and you need a strategy to categorize your business, service, or product, get in touch via the show notes or again at bcategorical.com. And remember, don't be better, be different.